The sun has left and forgotten me. It's dark, I cannot Your stories don't define you, but how you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief storymaker of Elkins Consulting. Listeners, you're in for a treat again today because you get to hear some stories, um, the background stories of an author who wrote a book recently called A Dog Named Beautiful. And one of my dear friends, Vince Moffat, sent that book to me as a gift. And I have to say, when I saw it come in the mail, I didn't know it was from him. I couldn't remember having a conversation with him, but I got this book in the mail. And on the caption or in the front cover, it says, for fans of Marley and me. And if anyone knows that book, you know that I immediately put that book down and had no intention of reading it until I found out exactly who gave it to me because I knew it was going to make me cry. So I put the book down. I didn't read it. It was on my bedside table until I heard from Vince. And he said, did you ever read my friend's book that I sent to you? And I thought, oh, great. Now I have to read the book, (laughs) which I did in a weekend. And I am a slow reader. I process things slowly. And so I like to read slowly so I can get the full feeling and emotion and, and value out of a book. And I remember getting up on Saturday morning before my husband And I sat on our little couch in the bay window with the sun coming in. I had my cup of tea with me and I cried for about an hour. And then I got myself together and I got almost probably about halfway through the book and finished it the next morning in the same position. And I have to tell you listeners, the rest of the book didn't make me cry. It made me feel hopeful it made me want to meet this man and it made me want to hold my brother closely in the tightest, warmest hug I could possibly give him. So listeners, I'd love to introduce you to my new friend, Rob Kugler. Rob, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. It's it's an honor, but you didn't give me a, a warning that you were going to make me cry. <laughs> um, that was... Um, it's really nice to to hear um, just how the book is still having an impact um, on people, and it sounds like that uh, it, it meant something to you. So that that means a lot to me to hear. It did, and thank you. And for our listeners, um, I think the reason I didn't cry at the the ending or the diagnosis of the dog was because we lost our. My, my hiking companion, Toby, my giant chocolate lab last summer. So in July, and I, um, I think I was still grieving in such a significant way that somebody else's loss felt like it paled in comparison. Mm-hmm. So, um, but now, and as you, you say, it, do, it did have an impact on me. We recently adopted another dog and it happens to be a yellow lab. So it did have enough of an impact that I was ready to have another fur baby in my house after reading that book. So thank you. Yeah, of course, of course. And there's, you know, there's no, like, so, so many dogs have um, just the, uh, the pureness of, of love, but there's, I feel like there's still like no love, like lab love. (laughs) I would agree with that. I've had lots of other kinds of dogs and yeah. It's different. So for our listeners, Rob, 
I always love to start the conversation by asking the the guest uh, to share something about themselves that most people might not know about you. And I know that book opened up a whole lot about you that most people wouldn't have known. Mm-hmm. But what's something maybe from your childhood or maybe in the last couple of years that um, people might not know about you at this point? One of the things I was thinking that, I mean, this has been a while, but just like the, the, the variance of jobs that I've had, you know, perhaps like, you know, I, I've taught preschool um, and I've, you know, been a, you know, like doorman at, at the bar or work security. Um, and, uh, but I've also, you know, done a lot of volunteer work, but then also I was a, you know, corrections officer at a maximum security prison for a little stint um, uh, before deploying to, to Iraq. Uh, and so, so just, I think that, that little bit, you know, sometimes there's just a, I've got a decent breadth of, of experience, you know, um, also been a, a garbage man. All, so there's, there's some things that I feel like that is, I don't know, maybe not everyone knows how many different roles that I've played. Well, I like that. That makes a lot of sense. And I appreciate it because I I think sometimes we get this one dimensional view of somebody based on one thing that we know about them or a handful of things that we know about them. And knowing that you've had all these different jobs, I mean, the whole preschool teacher thing, it's like, boy, if you can do that, <laughs> you can do anything. No wonder you could be a Marine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's I, I joke sometimes that it wasn't that much difference, you know, managing <laughs> managing three and five year olds versus you know managing a platoon of Marines. Um, <laughs> the uh, and one thing that's kind of interesting too on the because I I don't know if it if it really got in there and that it's kind of touched in the book, but when I was back home, uh, I found a journal that I had to write in for my freshman year in high school and. There was a few entries that I was kind of like looking back at myself and be like, man, you could have got something good there if you actually would have not scribbled everything down in the five minutes before class started, you know? Um, And then, but another one was like how this, this lifelong dream that I had, like to want to be an actor uh, that was, um, you know, clear back, you know, even then. And because we touch on it in the book, but I was able to, to pursue that. And then, um, you know, I, I made, I got, I booked my first audition in, in LA and it would end up being for the, uh, PSA for the, uh, VA, um, Mm -hmm. veterans affairs. And, um, I went to the groundlings improv school and was doing well there. And so like that, that whole thing was real. And then like coming back to it and seeing that as, um, like seeing it in my journal as a freshman in high school in a town of 3,800 people to where when I said that that's what I wanted to do, my uh, teachers were like, well, let's be honest. Let's, let's try to focus on something that could be real, <sighs> you know? And <laughs> so, because I was still doing well there, but I just, I left, I left. Um, and I talk about that in the book, um, right. you know, the, the decision to leave, but there's still sometimes where it, um, I don't know. It, it hurts. Like when, you know, like my dad will be like, Hey, are you, are you sad that you never made it as far in LA as, as you thought you might? And I was like, I was doing better than I ever thought that I could. And then I 
left. I chose to leave. Right. You know? So it's like some people see from the outside that I went and failed. And then that, you know what I mean? Like that part. Right. But you didn't fail. I didn't. No, no it was your choice. And yeah. I think that's so important. I was just talking to somebody. First of all, the first thing that popped into my head was that sometimes spite is a really great, powerful motivator. And having a teacher or teachers or adults or even friends say, oh, that'll never happen. Right. It's kind of for a teenager. It's like, that is the best fuel you can, can possibly be. give them. Yeah, yeah, it really can be. <laughs> And that's that's something I've actually wanted to, to try to to dig out too is um even just like anger like nothing I I never I don't have any more energy in the world than when I'm angry it's like so then how where where if that energy exists how can I extract that and you know when I'm not angry because I don't you know because then when I'm angry I'm angry <laughs> right and that's not fun at all but no. I I think I think that's a really good point and just back to this whole idea of spite being a motivator. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think anger is really important as a motivator because it makes you look in the mirror in a way you wouldn't otherwise. Right. And I read a book when I first took on my first sales role many years ago, and it was called why women make the best salesmen. And it was a woman who owned a whole bunch of uh, car dealerships love car dealerships across Texas. And she was the author. And one of the two things stuck with me after reading it, one was that she always had a mirror behind her desk in her office, because if somebody walks in angry and they see themselves, no one wants to look like that. Right. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so brilliant. So, and I happen to have a mirror behind my desk at when I worked as a salesperson. So it was kind of cool. The other thing she said is that she always kept um, candy or something on her desk so that people would feel hosted. And I had at that point already had a big tub of Twizzlers on my desk and a bowl full of um, those little Clementine oranges. Oh, nice. And I did notice that people felt hosted, even if they didn't eat anything, they noticed that it was there. But she talked about that spite being a motivator as well. And um, and then the other thing that popped into my head is when people see something as a failure and how you share the story differently for them, mm-hmm. that the only way we can do that is if we know that that's how they saw it. Right. right? So your dad actually asked you, do you feel like you failed there? Do you, do you regret giving yes. up? Yes. And, that gave you the opportunity to say, I, I didn't give up. I chose to leave. And those yeah. are really different things. And it comes back to how you tell your story, right? Right. Right. And that's that's the thing I'm still learning on on how to tell my story and times where I've been uh, a guest on on other podcasts and trying to learn to uh, share share things, you know shorter like more of an elevator pitch because sometimes when i get into it i like i want you to know all the details like you've got to understand um every aspect so you can fully appreciate this and then it's like okay well uh now we're out of time and you're about uh, a quarter away uh, into your stuff <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh that is the story of my father's stories and 
there would be a point where he would get into all the names of the characters and his story. And I'm like, dad, I'm never going to meet these people. Can we move on? Just tell me his nephew. And that's enough for me. Right. Right. So I get that. And you are not alone in that, that difficulty of understanding which details to share, and which ones don't matter. Right. And, um, I thought you did a brilliant job of that in your book. And granted, that's where really good editors make it like the best book it could be, because most of us feel like we need to give a ton more context. And the editor is like, your goal is for people to read this and, and feel this way or experience A, and adding this detail is not going to contribute to that experience. Right. And it's it is so great to have that editor just for, for anybody uh, to just to have a, a party that's not personally, emotionally attached to the story that then can see that. It's easier to see that when you're not attached to it. You know, exactly. it's like this detail, you might feel like it's important, but it's just it's just a, you know, what, like a red herring almost, you know, it's just a thing we don't need to chase. Exactly. Exactly. So when you think about um, your first experience with an editor, um, I, my first experience with a really good editor, I had one of my friends describes it as your first shitty book. Yeah. <laughs> and I had one of those. And I gave it to a friend that happens to be a great editor. And when it came back to me, it was covered in red. And I was so intimidated by that and discouraged mm-hmm. by it that I put it aside. And she was like, no, 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 don't. It's good. There's so much in here that's good. And I just thought, this is my shitty first book and I'm going to set it aside and I'm going to work on book number two. (laughs) And um, so you notice how I gave you this little snapshot instead of all the context. So tell me, and you don't have to do that. I'm interested in all the aspects of your story. Tell me about your first experience with an editor. and, And because I know a lot of listeners have written a book or they're interested in writing a book or they have um, a memoir in them somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my, it's actually, this is kind of, um, it's a little bit interesting. Uh, so I had a collaborative writer as well, and his name is Marcus Brotherton and he's written several uh, best-selling books. And when I wanted to work with him, um, originally I was put in touch with four different collaborative writers as potential uh, through through my agent at, at CAA. Uh, Kate Hoyt is her name, and she's she's amazing. Um, but she represents very very big um, talent. So there's times to where, I mean, I love her; she's amazing. But then also, it's hard for me to to, to get in and get a line, you know, when she's like Lady Gaga and people like you know what I mean. Like right. that's literally who she's right. you know going. <laughs> And, yeah. and, uh, a little intimidating too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, but so when we got the, I had four to choose from four collaborative writers to choose from and Marcus's work with the entire, um, I don't know, ensemble is not the right word, but, uh, you know, it's like, I don't know if it was the full platoon, but all the guys from band of brothers, Marcus oh, right. wrote, um, a collective memoir. And then uh, uh, certain specific memoirs, like of Shifty Powers, um, and a few a few others. And I felt like that I wanted to work with him uh, due to his work with them, and then also like to feel closer to the Band of Brothers because that was something that 
my generation of military members like watched kind of like it was almost like a it wasn't a bible but it was you know this weird we, we watched it and we felt the camaraderie of of these men and we felt um you know attached to them and so he and i worked on the book so he almost kind of served as an editor himself mm-hmm. and we worked on it for a year and we had the uh, uh flat iron was the publisher and we had an editor that gave us the guidelines of what he wanted, but then he left um, like midway through to edit Joe and Jill Biden's books. And then a junior okay. editor came in and then um, it just, this was his first position as a senior editor in this book. Uh, so then when he was like, okay, I like the second half, but I don't like the first. Okay, let, let's redo that. And that's kind of like, you know, how. Starting all over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was okay to do that. But Marcus had, had he had um, Gary Sinise's book to write. And so like time-wise, he's like, I don't have time for that. And then so got on the phone call with Kate and she's like, hey, this is amateur hour. Like you can't, you can't just say, hey, rewrite it to big beginning. You know, um, so then a third editor popped over from the UK and said, well, I can, I can do this. And then what it was, was, um, you know, there's some, there's some good stuff there. There's some really good stuff that, that, that happened that she was able to help us with. But I think the, I think the quickest way to tell the story is to say, so that, that first senior editor said, stay away from Marley and me as far as you can. I want this to be um, like wild. Um, this is Rob's story and Bella is with him along his journey. And then the second editor, when, you know, when he came in, he's like, well, I don't like the first part. And, but he, he didn't get to keep control of the ship after the UK editor came in and said, okay, we can do this. But what we need to do is make this book more like Marley and me. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> but, so that, um, that process was hard because I would have rather have gone ahead and spent the time to rewrite the beginning. Um, but, um, especially cause some of the end was more untouched from Marcus than me. So like, I felt like more of the end was more solely mine. And then that's um. what they, that's what they liked more. Um, and, and that, and it was different, you know, um, I don't know if I'm selling the book very well here. <laughs> it's a good book. Don't worry about that. <laughs> and, well, and, that's, and that's what I guess uh, is maybe that's the end of it. That's the, that's the key takeaway is that they did, everyone did a good job, you know, and people have responded, you know, pretty well to the book. Uh, it had uh, some, you know, like it made Forbes best travel books of the summer in 2020. You know, that's a pretty I, big deal. That's pretty cool. I uh, got a, you know, um, a, a few, good reviews, uh, like that, like book lists and stuff like that. But, um, I think a hard part was for me is that when it was getting ready to come out or when it came out, I, there was a military base tour that was getting planned. Um, and I had the lady from APHIS, which is the, the armed forces exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was the main book buyer for APHIS uh, nationwide. And she was like any, any base that I could make it to, she would 
you know, plan a stop for. And then, and then COVID happened. Mm-hmm. And some people were able to, you know, a, a few other authors out there were able to market things and, and do well with their books through COVID. But to me, uh, with the losing that in-person experience uh, kind of seemed like the, it just kind of fizzled all out. There was like a big buildup of the story and then the book coming out. And then, um, yeah, then we were stuck inside. Well, um, we share that in common. My book was published May 31st, 2020. Mm. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I had the same, not the same because I didn't have the niche market that would have um, blown your book out of the water, so to speak, if, um, if you had been able to do those face-to-face things, uh, have you thought about doing, um, like the re a reboot of it? Um, I forget what, yeah, no, I have, I have. And, um, you know, there's, there's times where I'm like, maybe if we could do that locally, you know, cause what I ended up doing was going back to school in the meantime, I decided, Hey, well, let me finish, you know, my, my uh, benefits were about to, you know, expire, basically, mm-hmm. uh, military-wise, and I decided to to go back to school because, to me, I felt like that if I didn't fulfill, if I didn't use the GI Bill to its fullest uh, extent, that that was just like a waste and slap in the face to my own service and everyone else's service and sacrifices, because mm-hmm. um, that's one of the biggest benefits. Um, and I wanted to go back to school for photojournalism. And I ended up uh, needing to use voc- vocational rehab because uh, my benefits didn't quite cover a full degree just because I'd used enough to obtain my associate's degree years mm-hmm. ago. And so I had to use vocational rehab and then they didn't approve um, photojournalism because they said, we're trying to help get people jobs here. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I was like, you know, and then he, I kind of laughed at that. Um, but uh, anyway, I, I guess I, I agreed and then went back to school for communications. And then within that, it, integrated strategic communications at WSU was, um, that's the degree. And I made, you know, like magna cum laude. Hello, thank you. Awesome. Right. Excited, yeah. excited about that, especially when I'm the kid, when I think about that, it's weird. Like the the child me is always present in my mind, like, being like, wow, I can't believe we're doing this. Right. You know? uh, especially the one that was like, I always joked that, man, I remember the first time I got a C on a report card. My mom was so proud. She hung that on the refrigerator. <laughs> and she was like, Look, he made it. <laughs> the irony of it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, no, yeah. So <laughs> I, um, people are like, okay, well, now you're going to get a job, you know, a real job with this and there's places, you know, opportunities there to where you can help people with marketing campaigns and all that. Um, a whole breadth of, of choices from there, but I've always wanted to apply this to myself and then, you know, um, kind of really push the foundations that I started in, uh, Bella's name and my brother's name. And cause we've done a few things, with them, but I would like to really get back into selling my photography, talking, you know, any speaking events and the book 
just having the title author with the book helps you get into those places, I guess. It does. It does. Well, and that's why I think um, if you go back to it, you do a second edition, you can update the the cover and you could add newer images if you wanted to and just market it as a second edition and then maybe get back into contact with the woman through APHIS and yeah. or a women, whoever it is that's doing it now. It's probably right. not the same person, but yeah, it might not be. I, I could totally see that taking off. And partly because you add an author's note about when it was published. I'm just about to do exactly that. Okay. I am just working on my second edition of my book. Nice. Just for that reason. Like I know it's a valuable book. People mm-hmm. who have read it have given me these amazing reviews, especially people who are writing memoir, because okay. the book helps them identify which stories to share and how to frame them. Nice. So it's not just the story. It's, well, in the context of what you want readers to understand or to walk away with, you have to frame it differently than, than you might if you're just telling the story to a friend or, or a right. kid or whatever. Right. So um, I know it's a valuable book. I think the publishing time period just kind of got in the way. It was also right around the time of George Floyd's murder. Mm-hmm. So um, I didn't feel like I was somebody whose voice needed to be amplified at that point. Right. So I started getting into my podcast and just meeting incredible people, especially women of color, and putting them on my podcast to amplify awesome. those voices. Right. That wasn't my voice that needed to be amplified. So now I'm like, okay, now these same people whose voices need to be amplified can benefit by reading my book. Oh, right. Because then they can amplify their own voices through the stories framed in a way that makes sense for what they want to accomplish. Right. So, yeah. How about how about you and I challenge each other? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Do the second edition and, and right. make this work for us. No, yeah, I know. Right. Because it's, again, it's, and I, I like the thought of a different cover too. It's funny. The uh, some people love the cover of my book. I'm not. I'm not excited uh, about the U.S. Uh, version. I like mm-hmm. the Germany's uh, was pretty pretty on point. It's one of my favorite pictures um, taken by a, a photography student, um, and, uh, Amanda Honeman. Thank you, Amanda. Mm-hmm. Gave me one of the favorite pictures of, of uh, Bella and I. Um, so just that, because when you think, when you hit, when you think you have an image of what your book cover might be in your head, and then, then you're told by people like, well, we know this is market research shows that this mm-hmm. scheme or this color. And you're like, but, but does it though? You know, <laughs> <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> but you know what you're doing. Okay. All right. So you know what you're doing. And I, mm-hmm. um, anyway, so that sounds, that sounds exciting, let alone the fact of just like kind of getting to get back at it, you know? Um, right. And it might trigger your next book. I mean, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure because part of what I, I loved about your book was that you left it in a place where you could take it to another story, another yeah. aspect of the next part of your journey. Well, so that's, I, I like that. Okay. Cause that's something that I, people keep on asking, you know, like, Hey, are you going to write another book? And I tell people, uh, yes, I'd love to, but I haven't done the things that I want to do to write about yet. Right. And, you know, and there's times where other people have told me like, well, what you're telling me right now and like, tell me about the place that you're in. And like, when I get into a little bit further, people are like, well, that's still worth writing. 
Right. You know, like absolutely. So there's times to where, you know, because I've got a lot to learn with um, just, you know, a lot of things have happened since the ending of the of the book, especially like how it ends. Um, A lot of it's really great. And then some of it is uh, challenging. And, um, you know, I think one of the biggest things in my opinion is just uh, it's a lot easier. It's easier to say some of the things that I said uh, when it was just me and my dog in a forerunner you know, like that's all the responsibilities in the world, you know? And then now it's, you know, can I, I mean, it's a a spoiler, you know? Yeah. 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 Family, kids, and three dogs. And in, uh, in an area where houses are literally, um, averaging $1.1 million. Uh, and you know, that's like the pressure of trying to figure out how to make enough money to own a home and, and, and provide and, and, but then still remain true to myself and not just give myself to uh, a job that makes me miserable, but then pays, pays more, you know, like that whole dilemma is where I'm in at the moment. I don't have too much longer to figure it out. Uh-huh. I don't feel like. Well, I, I, I know for sure that I like to hear those stories because that's real life. And Everyone can relate to what you're talking about right now. Anyone who will read your second book or people who have gone through it or are going through it or will go through it. And maybe coming out on the other side is part of what you have to do in order to finish the book, that next Mm -hmm. book, because being in the middle of it isn't that inspiring. No, it's not. I'm going through that too. Right. And there's camaraderie there, but is there inspiration, motivation? But right. I think it's more important to know that what you're going through now is not uncommon and that when you have a story, a particular moment in time, that even if it's um, a a baby step out of where you are, Mm -hmm. uh, getting a really good interview is one of those stories. Like, oh my gosh, I had such a good interview and um, maybe, maybe I won't get the job, but I felt really good walking out of that. Right. And there's a story. Yeah. 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 I get that. Cause there's, yeah. there's times, you know, well, even just back home, going back home uh, to Nebraska is where I'm originally from. I live in the uh, Pacific Northwest now, the Columbia river gorge, beautiful, beautiful place. It's amazing. Um, and, but back home, the, the, the quietness and stillness, um, and the conversations uh, that are able to be had when people aren't scrambling to continue to find the next thing or the next promotion, or you know, um, mm-hmm. there was a, there was a big lesson in that to like, hey, let's also we can't completely just kick back and relax and be like, hey, we're good. But there's a still a lot of moments that we uh, we could take to appreciate how good that it really is. Mm-hmm. You know, um, cause where we are, it's an amazing place. And even though we don't own our rent is cheaper than anywhere else, at, uh, in the area, just cause we've got a good relationship with our landlord. So there, there's a blessing in what we have and the area that we live, uh, we're five minutes from, you know, the white salmon river and the Columbia and, uh, 40 minutes from Mount hood, 30 from Mount Adams and three miles up the road, we can get into logging roads, take the dogs up there, 
uh, and, and the kids and get onto trails to where no one is. And there's hundreds and hundreds of miles of, of just forest. And mm-hmm. like, it, it, it's not a lot to complain about if, if you don't look at the one thing that you can't have, which is owning a home, at least in the, the immediate, you know, so. Right. I, I think it's, I was just talking about this with a friend as we're building our businesses and we both live in a place that is lower cost of living than a lot of other places, but it's still way out of range for most people, mm-hmm. which is crazy. This little town in Montana that it's so out of range now for most people, teachers, nurses, um, city and state employees can't afford to buy a house here now, which is crazy. And at the same time, our conversation was, how do you manage your your life, your expectations, your work, so that you're paying more attention to the outcomes than the inputs? And um, what that means is, as I'm building my business, if I really think about, I, I could get a job, I could hire myself to do my job, but is that is that going to make me satisfied with what I do? Instead, what if I think about on a day-to-day basis, what are the outcomes I have to have? So today, I have to have an outcome of having my podcast recorded and ready to go for Tuesday. I have to complete um, a booklet that needs to go to the printer by tomorrow or actually by this afternoon. Okay. Um, and I have to, uh, do I don't know, make two referral calls. All right. Once I write that down, I accomplish those outcomes. Then I have a choice. Do I go for a hike with the dog? Do I go run some errands for our household? Do I take a nap? And then maybe I work for another hour in the late afternoon. If I get inspired, I might write some more, do some more content creation or work on my next keynote presentation. Like thinking about it in terms of my inputs, make or not my, my input. I'm not worried about how many hours I put in. I'm really thinking in terms of what is my outcome? Because as my friend Kurt once said, if you think about it's going to take something two hours to do, it's going to take you two hours to do it. Right. Right. Especially if you, for me, if it's going to take me two hours to do it, uh, even if it takes me two hours to do it, it might've only taken me 30 because I burned the first 90 thinking about it. Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) So if you say it's going to take me 30 minutes, it happens to take you 40. Great. But if you say two hours, it's going to take two hours. Right. So, yeah, I think it's an important concept. And then valuing what you have, you can't help but value what you have when you're thinking in terms of output instead of input. Right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And and that's, I I like that because there's also just a reminder of, again, you know, set it just, when is that moment or when is that conversation that starts your, your story? Um, there's, there's times when you're even like to get to the other side, as we mentioned earlier, some of that is just even just moving forward with confidence of, of knowing the value of, of the story that already exists. So if we're like to, to say, Hey, I want to look at making a second edition, but also following through on the ideas of, the calendars and prints from the photos that I took all along the journey. You know, I've, I've mocked up a couple and they, and they look 
good, but to me, I'm like, ah, is this good enough? Is this just, you know, is, and so you get that. It's hilarious to think that I'm some type of perfectionist because I've never like produced anything perfect. I don't know who the hell I think I am, you know, when I think that I'm a, you know what I mean? I don't know. If right. You know, like, <laughs> you know um, and anyway, so those things is just deciding and saying that's what I'm doing and doing it. And then if I fail, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but I can't keep talking about saying that's what I'm going to do. Um, because that's what was kind of supposed to happen this summer after I graduated. I'm like, all right. So after we graduate, after I graduate, I'm going to see if I can monetize um, my own content that already exists and uh, do it in a way that also serves a purpose to where, you know, uh, a percentage of proceeds for everything that I, I sell will go to either the team Bella or the team or the Mike Doheny foundation. And so that way I feel like there's still purpose behind it m- other than just uh, making money. Um, and cause then donations still can still come in, but those go into a donor advised fund to where no money ever, like a hundred percent of donations get redistributed. Like there's no overhead and that's how, because some people have said, why don't you start a nonprofit? And I'm like, I don't want any donor funds ever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I want, I want all donor money, donated money to go to here. But if you want to buy something of mine and then allow me to make a profit from it, and then a percentage goes to these, then that's where that, that profit would cover come administrative from. administrative fees. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It could cover, you know, allow, you know, for actual income. And so that's, that's like my pitch, I guess, if that's what I want to do. But just so far, we've, we've had an awesome summer because we've also said that we don't, you know, like, let's just have this summer to do as much as we can. And, you know, we've gone camping multiple times uh, with the kids and uh, I got to make the trip home. And of course, we had to evacuate the week for the, for the fires that were nearby. And yeah, so needless to say, I have spent zero time yet this summer. <laughs> <laughs> Summer's hard for that. It is. It is. So Rob, when you think about Bella, your dog, that is kind of the main character in your book, other than you and your brother, when you think about her and you think about the lessons that you learned from her, my first thought is that whole sense of, I guess that loyalty is what Mm hits me about her and the way that she changed people or influenced people, I should say, not changed. But I I love the story of um, her finding that woman, uh, was it along a lake on the Mm. East Coast? Was it the one where we, uh, the lady in black? Yes. That that one? Yes. Yeah. And Bella's influence on her. Yeah. What's the influence that you want to have when you think about her influence like I, I think about words that I want people to use to describe me when I walk away and the reason I think about that is I've been to enough funerals and memorial services of people describing the person who had died and not through rose-colored glasses you know being honest but those words when I hear words like considerate compassionate thoughtful those are the words and the only way to do that is that if I'm acting and behaving in a way that demonstrates those words. So Bella influenced people to 
stop for a moment and be present and to, um, I don't know. I, you, you tell me, I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now you're talking, this is about me, not about Bella. Like right. What I would, okay. Um, yeah. The, I know that I, I know what other people have said when I question my own, you know, like value. <laughs> I and guess. legacy. Um, it's really, yeah, it's legacy. Yeah. Um, Living legacy. Yeah. You know, I don't know what the word to describe this, but I know people have said that, you know, they, they enjoy uh, being around me during like low times um, because like I, I, I'm an uh, encourage, uh, encourage people. Um, Mm -hmm. Someone said, you know, like I'm able to find joy in, or at least bring forth joy in some of the darker, darker moments, mm-hmm. um, you know, cause humor, you know, is, is up there, you know, like having a, having a sense of humor. Um, I'm guessing a lot of people would, would guess that, but I would hope, I would hope that people would say that I'm, I'm genuine mm-hmm. and, and a good listener. And, Sometimes it gets tough because I am, I've, I've been a lot of people's unofficial therapist, you know? Yeah, um, I can imagine that. <laughs> and so I, I can listen really well, but also, you know, there's times where I, I can get hyped up and then not be as good a listener as I, I would like to, because then I interject with my own relatable story and then can go off in like a little tangent that way. And I'll catch myself. And I'm like, I'm ah, sorry, this is, this is supposed to be about you. I'm like, I am here to listen. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would, I would also like, uh, this is one of the things that I think that's tough. Um, I was once told, do you know how many things that you say that you're going to do and you don't do? Oh, and then like that really stuck with me and it still happens sometimes. And there's, I really don't like the overdiagnosis or self over self-diagnosis, especially as like spreading through social media, like crazy right now of ADD or ADHD and navel gazing. Yeah. 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 (laughs) You know, um, but that's, that's something that, uh, you know, has, um, I think the hardest thing is I'd like to be known as a man of my word Hmm. and there are multiple times where it's like, if I said, I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. But in my mind, sometimes as long as I do that before I'm dead counts for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think there's an important distinction here. And for our listeners, I'm sure you're going to hear this as well. There's an important distinction between being a man of your word for you and being a man of your word for others. And so many of us have ideas about things we want to do. But the first priority is if I say I'm going to do something for my kid or my friend Mm. or my client, Mm -hmm. they know it's going to happen. And it's not because I'm such a reliable or responsible person. It's because I said I was going to do it. And this person is important. Yes. It's because my relationship with that person matters. My relationship with me absolutely matters. 
which is why I think it's really important to understand the distinction and be more intentional about what you tell yourself you're going to do. Right. Yes. Yes. Okay. And that's, I'm glad that you brought that up about kids because for so far, it's so much easier for me to make sure that anything is followed through on for my kids, you know, um, or even just money that's spent, you know, like, Hey, well, there's this thing, or there's, there's this, um, like preschool, or is there's this Montessori, you know, and here's the, here's the money difference, you know, and it's like, okay, well, what is the best, you know, like what's going to be the best for her? Um, well for them now, but I'm just thinking of my daughter because she's, she's about to start Montessori school in, um, September. So I'm excited for that. Um, and you know, I think it's, it's so much easier to make sure I'm following through for things for my kids than it is for things I said I'm going to do for myself. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So I, I just, uh, for some reason that set off a, a, a flag for me, because I think a lot of us go through that where people say, oh, well, you said you were going to do, and we have a tendency to hold other people accountable for the things that they say they're going to do while not yeah. holding ourselves accountable for those things. Oh, right. And it comes back to that same story about your dad seeing it as a, do you feel like you failed or you know, do, how do you see it? this is how I saw it and being able to distinguish that with somebody you care about and then not caring if somebody right. that says something like that, that's like, yeah, I don't really care what you think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, it's weird too. Cause I go through a big thing of doing things in ways to where some people say like, man, I wish I could just say like dancing, you know, like at a wedding or, you know, <laughs> or somewhere was dancing after a wedding. We went out with, with, with friends just this last year. And I, I, I overheard this guy being like, man, I wish I could just be that free and not care, you know, cause I have, who knows how good that I of dancing that I'm doing, but I'm just dancing all the night, the night away, you know, like it's fun. wet through my shirt completely. You know what I mean? Like just, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, exactly. And, and it's fun. So there's in certain times where it's like, and I don't care what, I don't care what anybody is thinking about what I look like while I'm dancing or like I'm having fun and other people are having fun. And as long as you're doing that, as long as you're enjoying yourself and just like feeling the music and like, let it move you. That's all that's going on. Um, so, and then even maybe sometimes uh, just being silly in public or something or, you know, like not caring, right. but there's other things to where I really care about what other people think or how they view things. And, it's weird how they can, they can go from an extreme to another, like completely not caring. And then also like, no, 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 that's not how it went. And then if this is what you feel, then I feel like that is then reality because if. That's if, perception you know, is all that matters. Yes, right, right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. If perception is well, reality. Then I need to change your perception, which. Do you think it, you can't, <laughs> do you think it has <laughs> yeah. more to do with the first part of um, not caring about being self-conscious in in the context of dancing, let's say, mm-hmm. or asking for volunteers on stage and you're like, me, pick me, right? And so yeah. many people are like hiding, trying, trying right. not to be selected. Do you think maybe it has something to do with, first of all, at the very beginning of this conversation, you talked basically about being a generalist, trying a whole lot of different jobs, 
just doing whatever came naturally, whatever opportunity happened to land in your lap um, and trying all these different things kind of set your brain up to be able to do things like that, like getting up on stage or whatever, maybe in just for the idea of not wanting to regret not doing it later. Yeah, that's huge. That's a huge one. Yeah. Yeah. So that guy, yeah. Yeah. Saying, I wish I could be like that. You kind of look at him and go, okay, in a year, are we still going to be having this conversation? Because you just can't get out of your own way. Right. And you're going to regret this a year from now. You're going to regret it two years from now. You're going to look back and say, why didn't I just dance? Right. I regret this. And it seems to me that with all of those experiences you've had, part of it, part of your not caring about that self-consciousness is about not wanting to regret because of your experiences that you've already had in loss and grief. Yeah. I, I would say that's a, that's a huge one. And that's, that's, I think one of the things that then makes um, life harder sometimes is, you know, I had a friend that had uh, lost a brother and he, he talked to me um, and said, it's like, one of the biggest things I learned is like, is you can't live life for two people. Right. You know? So there's times where I don't, I'm, to me, I'm like, I don't think that I'm doing that, but there's other times like say, well, no, I, I know hundred percent that I'm doing that. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not that I'm trying to live life um, for my brother, but there's multiple times to where I feel as if um, I, everything that I do that is like beyond just like normal, the kind of a monotone nine to five ish, just regular, I don't know, um, you know, any adventure any, you know, like scuba diving and my chance to go cycling, uh, across Italy and, right. <laughs> you know, all these different things to where I'm like, every time I do one of those, um, pays honor to my brother's sacrifice. Uh, every time I live life a little extra, um, even if every time I spend more time with my children, um, you know, like taking them to the waterfall hike on a, on a Wednesday, you know, where the, where it's not, the trail isn't full. Like I feel every one of right. those is, 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 you know, to honor him. Yeah. 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 And then, but it and can, it's it can, also to honor you though. I mean, right? I get it. I hear you the whole, um, you can't live life for two people. That would be, I've seen people doing things that their loved one would have done. Mm. Mm-hmm. And not because they want to do it, but because they're living for this other person, they're living the life of this other person as well as their own. Yeah. I don't know. It seems like, again, an important distinction. The other, the other part of that is the other side of the same coin, which is when you said sometimes you do get really like self-conscious about other what other people think. And I wonder if you think about who it is that you that stops you. Mm-hmm. it's people you love, right? It's people, of course, I, if something's going to stop me from doing something I want to do, it's because there may be a negative consequence on my husband or my kid mm-hmm. or my, my client. Yeah. Yeah. So then, okay. And then if there's not, then don't worry about it. Exactly. Right? Exactly. <laughs> I, I've said this before so many times. 
I'll say, well, do you care what people think? And half the audience in the keynote will be like, no. And the other half will be like, well, if I'm honest, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Do you do you care what certain people think? And then everyone's like, well, says yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course I care what certain people think. Right. Yeah. And that's that that can be tough when you know there can be a large amount of people that are like, hey, this is amazing. And but if there's one person. Oh, that's so yeah. important. So did you yeah. get one as we kind of wrap this up? Did yeah. you get one? that you listen to one criticism of your book that pops into your head? Yeah, it's from, it's from, uh, but it's, it's from someone that I shouldn't, it's, you know, it's, it's like someone flagged me in the comments, you know what I mean? Like, right, uh, a review. Right. like, like, did you see this? And I was like, well, I did now. Thanks. <laughs> thanks you know? for letting me know I got the same yeah, review. Yeah. No, it, it was a, it was a really tough one. Um, and the, uh, it's kind of funny because some people tried to like dox her a little bit, you know what I mean? Like found like, this is who she is. If you want to like talk to her, <laughs> you know? And I was like, no, let's, let's get, let's get that. Cause they posted that like on my own social media. And I was like, no, right. let's, let's not do that. Um, but it, it just rang in my ear. Um, some of the things, cause I, and I felt like if the, the majority of the, reviews for the book were all good uh and then some were really great um and just like how you were mentioning it earlier like i said almost brought tears to my eyes when you were talking about uh holding your brother tighter um but if if people have written a negative review about the book it's it's uh it's about me you know like not liking (laughs) isn't that funny (laughs) yeah and i was like you know i I, I, I get so that. personal. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. It, because it, it gets really, it gets really in there. I um, have a question just, for you though. Go ahead. Yeah. When, so that happened to me as well. And this is the question my, my coach asked me, I, I believe in coaching. And so I periodically hire a coach to work with me to make nice. sure I'm giving the best possible service to my clients. Okay. So I had this coach working with me when I published my book and she said, if you were coaching somebody that that happened to, mm-hmm. what would you say? Oh, so that's what I'm asking you right now. Okay. Yeah. That'd be pretty easy. I was like, well, for one, um, this person doesn't know you, you know, <laughs> like that's one of the, the biggest parts. Right. Right. Is, uh, you are, you're not even a real person to this person. You are words. They're on seeing you in one dimension. Yeah. Right. And then, and then also remember that the and that's that's like the good side and the downside about editing sometimes with the editing you're like hey well this wasn't my whole story or hey this part was missing but then you can also blame it on the editor too and it's like well, hey you know what i mean like well the editors you know what i mean like yeah, this is what uh-huh. they chose you know um so yeah that's what i would that's what i feel like and, and again this is one of the things that i think that's so hard is that uh, a negative voice just happens to be the loudest voice in the room um and and it doesn't have to be. That's something that we make it to be. Um, because if you've got, you know, hundreds of positive things and then, but if that one negative thing sticks out, um, you know, that's, that's something that you have to work on to, to just put that aside. But then also if it really, really bothers you, is there any truth to it? And then if there's any truth to it, is there anything that you can, can do to, uh, you know, repair that like within yourself, um, or, or work on that. 
I'm um, so glad you said that, Rob. I because that's to me that's the critical factor is if you are really defensive about something that somebody said, there has to be a kernel of truth in there. Mm-hmm. People don't get defensive when they don't see that kernel of truth in it. They there it's way easier to dismiss something if you don't see the kernel of truth. Yep. And it could be tiny, tiny, like rice sized kernel of truth in in a I don't know, a room full of rice. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. This yeah. is a terrible analogy. No, 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 I get it. No, no. Kernel I just, rice, whatever. Yeah. It, yeah. But if there's that one, and I love that idea that okay, so if there is that edge, you know there's a slight sliver there. Mm-hmm. What what can you do? What can you do anything? And the next question might be, do you do you want to? Yeah. Okay. So there's this edge of truth. Maybe, maybe um, that part of my book was a little self-serving, or maybe, maybe I could have added some dimension to that part of the book because a, I like the book. So yeah, there, there may be this kernel of truth to it. I'm not going to do anything about it because this is this is where I am now, and I'm good with it. Or like you said. Oh, I have a second edition coming up. <laughs> yeah, what right? what can I embody about that criticism that can come out in a in a positive way as a result of all this ruminating about this one negative review? Right. How can I turn this around a little bit? And not just yeah. for me, but for, for the person who wrote the review, because clearly they're the ones that have a problem. If right. you have 99 positive reviews and one negative review. Right. And, and it's interesting too, yeah, because in the terms of when people can take the time, because sometimes it's like hard to get people to write reviews, you know, like I was, right. um, you know, it's like, oh, hey, yeah, I loved your book. I was like, all right, thanks. And I was bad about asking for them um, as well. But then I kind of started asking a little bit like, hey, like, oh, your book, I loved it so much. It's like, oh, well, could you, could you leave a review or something? You know, like, because I don't want to sound like that's what I want. You know, I want to say thank you so much. And that's right. it. You know, I don't want to ask people, you know, I don't know. It sounds like it's a salesman type thing when you ask for reviews or something. But anyway, so it's funny to think of that. And then for someone to leave a negative one, think of like the time that it takes for them to go and then like get so right. personal. It's like, oh my God, that, that hurt. Do I know? Are you sure? Are you using a pseudonym? Like, are we related? <laughs> like, this is, I feel like you know me. Like this sounds so personal. You've got to know. You must me be the best friend of my ex girlfriend. <laughs> exactly. You know. Yeah. Yes. Well, and that's. I think it's way worse when they leave a one star without any explanation. Right. That is way worse. So if you really want to hurt an author, listeners, yeah. you yeah. leave a one star without any explanation about why, right. because that well, just, you know. And I actually kind of like those because then. It looks for real, like oh, oh out of right. twenty five like reviews, you got one that was a, a zero or a one. So clearly, I'm not buying reviews. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Makes it more authentic. There's there was a, there was one just on that, and we can be done. You know, because I again, <laughs> you try like I was going to try to not read any. Right. That's why I was like Marcus told me he's like don't. I would recommend you just don't even read any reviews, just because. <laughs> You know, and I was like, but then again, after things kind of go away and after the, you know, I was like, well, hey, what's going on? Let's just check this out. But also another one, other ones that are tougher when people leave a good review 
like a really good review. And then it's like a one star is like, maybe they clicked the wrong button when, you know, and then, and then like, you almost want to reach out, you know, it's they like, got it backward. Yeah, I know. you don't want to be like, you don't want to be someone that I don't know, but there it does. It seems like that when you like send an email, Hey, I just want to let you know, you left this really great review. Um, but it's a one star. So it's like dropping the, the thing, you know, it's about to fall under five. It was, it was five stars. It was great for a while, but now it's like four, nine. That's when you <laughs> but, let your editor do that. Exactly. Well, and that's the thing. Um, that's why I don't want, I don't want to have anything to do with that. You know, like, um, I, I don't know. It just sounds like, um, stuff that I, like I said, I don't, I don't want to care about that. Right. There's a humility um, there. Yeah. That, that yeah. is valuable and it feels authentic. And you said, I want to be known as genuine. I want to be known as somebody who's walking my own walk and doing yeah. the right thing. And so I, I get that. I hear that. Yeah. So and that's go ahead. As we wrap this up, mm-hmm. if you could, um, if you had an audience to share one thing with that, that the lesson of not just writing a book, but putting yourself out there way, the way you did um, for our listeners, this book is really, it really is personal. It's a memoir and um, it's hard to put that out there. So if you were going to say something to the audience who may or may not read your book, yeah, what would that be? And now this is, but this thing is like, if they were wanting to share, you know, like if they are wanting to share their own, like what advice well, would that be? May, no, not advice, but or what not. did you go through to do it? What was, what was the meaning behind it for you? Why go through yeah. with it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, cause the first thing this is, this isn't quite the question you asked, but this is something that popped up that I wanted to, to say, um, as far as like fearing, I, I talked to a, I was interviewed uh, by a young journalism student at WSU for their uh, magazine. And when he was talking about like, how don't I, I'm afraid to put stuff out there. Um, you know, cause he wanted to write more than just his journalism assignments. He mm-hmm. had some things that he'd written. It's like, I want to put these out there, but I'm, I'm afraid people might not like it. And I said, well, you put it out there. And the people that respond to it and resonate to it, that's who it's for. The mm-hmm. people that don't like it, it's not for them, you know? So, um, like, and yeah. sharing it is for you. Uh, cause, cause to me, it's weird. It depends on where I am or, or where I am. Uh, because I, I started off, you know, single mom, four kids. She never made more than minimum wage. Um, and then just small town and then military stuff. So to some people, um, they feel like that my stories are more worth listening to than maybe sometimes where I'm in the upper middle class and running around. And then people are like, uh, they're only talking about careers and moving forward and being the president or the CFO or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, so then, is it relatable? Right. 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 Um, but I guess it's almost like I was, I've been told enough times from 
people that do uh, listen to how I have, you know, uh, kind of dealt with grief because I also, um, I lost a sister a few years after my brother. And so that was just, uh, you know, kind of revisiting, revisiting that. And I'm mentioning that just because I, f- I feel like she doesn't get talked about enough. Charity was her name. She was killed in a, in a car crash on her way to go see our, our grandma that was in the hospital. And I feel like enough people had asked me for my stories and that had told me that just stuff that I was writing and putting out there already just on like Facebook and stuff. They told me that I was putting words to uh, feelings that they had that they couldn't describe. And that that was a sense of like therapy to them. So I felt like it was um, almost like a duty to get some things out and then share them with people, especially uh, with Bella's passing and so many people that were connected to her to try to go through that and put those words out there to see if it could, if my own catharsis could help other people. Mm. That is a perfect way to wrap it up. I mean, that's perfect because I, I think too many people write to tell their story. That's, that's the only reason they're writing. And for our listeners, if, if the purpose of your writing is to maybe guide others toward dealing with their own grief, or if you've heard from people that your stories have inspired them or motivated them to do something different, or um, if people have told you that your stories have resonated with them because it feels like your words are coming from their mouth, then you have a reason to write your story and maybe even fiction. If that's if your stories are connecting with people, I, I think having a purpose behind your book, why do I want to write this? And if it's your own memoir for your own sake, great. Just know that that's why you're writing it. Be honest with yourself and your readers. Wow. Rob, that was terrific. Thank you. I really appreciate yeah. it. Of course. Yeah. Thank you. This, um, this has been pretty great. And you've got a nice calming energy i hope we get to continue to like i don't know maintain uh, a relationship over the over the years because um i mean i'm guessing you've got a pretty good following for a reason you know and so i'm looking forward to looking forward to talking to you again well we have to keep in touch because we're going to keep each other accountable on that second edition that's right and we've got to talk more about vince yes oh my gosh (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to see him. Speaking of Vince, Vince, thanks again for this introduction and for the gift of Rob's book. And I'm going to get to see Vince later this year. I'm so excited. Nice. I haven't seen him in over 30 years because we went to high school together. Oh, wow. Seen each okay. other since oh, high school. Oh, nice. Yeah. He, what an adventurous, like that guy could write 10 books. Uh, seriously. Seriously. Yeah. I love him. He's such an amazing yeah, me, human. Me too. So um, yes, we will keep in touch. And for our listeners, uh, we will have links to Band of Brothers uh, information because Rob mentioned that, and it's it's an integral part of why uh, he connected so deeply with his co-writer of his book, um, and links to Rob's Instagram account and Facebook so that you can follow him there, and also so that you can buy the book. 
in the first edition because the second yep. edition isn't out yet. <laughs> That's right. Um, so don't worry about trying to stop the podcast and pause it and write things down. It will all be in the show notes at elkinsconsulting.com. Rob, thank you so much for joining me today. Awesome. Thank you. It was my honor. Listeners, now it's your turn. The first thing I'm going to ask you to do is when you read a book that you really like, leave a review. You can do it on Amazon, on Goodreads, maybe share it because those of us who have written books know that writing a review really is meaningful. So if you really liked a book, write a review. Even if it was, you kind of liked a book, write a review and leave three or four stars, but write a review because that means that people are reading the book and that that matters to us. And then the second thing I'm going to ask you to do is to consider what struggles you've experienced in your life, what grief you've experienced in your life, and how you can frame that story so that somebody else can feel what you're feeling and see what it's like to come out the other side. That's what I'm asking you to do because your stories don't define you, but how you tell them will. Thanks for listening. Smile, what's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still worthwhile if you just smile.